0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Mark Rose podcast. I've always been quite curious about how do we get better at communication in relationships. And of course, in our romantic relationships, or I'd even say our relationship with our parents, they're often the most sensitive, right, to communication, like our reactivity is uh, most heightened. And you think about work, right? Like at work, we tend to build up more emotional resilience because the cost of reacting at work is you might lose your job. And so ironically, some of the one of the sort of strangest things is that we tend to put up with more at work, we tend to be better at work, we tend to be kinder and more gentle and more intentional about our communication. And although that's obviously important, because our survival is connected to it in a lot of ways. It's crazy to me that we don't save the best versions of us for our partners. In actually a lot of ways, we bring our worst versions of ourselves. We bring the most reactive versions of ourselves. And I I think that's due to a few things. One, the willpower gets exhausted throughout the day and in other relationships where we sort of restrain ourselves more. And also, I think it's because there's this idea, especially if we've gotten married, and we've made this commitment, maybe we accepted a relationship request on Facebook, right? There's like this level of commitment that we think we can do that. And there's more tolerance for in a lot of ways, our bullshit, right? And we don't learn how to stretch ourselves, how to be better, how to lean into the tenderness of the reactivity, discover where does the wound originate? Where does it come from? Because if you can learn how to master dialogue and communication from a non-reactive place, and of course the world is so triggering in so many ways, especially the tenderness of our hearts when we are facing rejection and abandonment, when we are facing choice, being chosen, especially when what we've been taught about relationship is that if you are chosen, you are worthy. If you are not, you are worthless. And of course, that's not true. And that's why some of the hardest work is when someone doesn't choose you or you know, doesn't communicate well with us or something like that, that we are able to do the work of separating someone's choice of us from our worth, that it doesn't live in their choice of us, that it actually lives in the fact that we are choosing ourselves to be in the most alignment with ourselves, with the best version of ourselves, with the best communicating version of ourselves, with a more adult version of ourselves, with the more healed version of ourselves. And that's why communication and it's ruptures and it's friction is always an invitation for healing. Always, always, always. And I remember Jordan Peterson saying once in a podcast episode, That where your trigger is, is actually an invitation to mastery. That you are being invited to master a nuance, right, of the human experience, a nuance of your own pain. Because your trigger is really this, you know, sort of hypersensitive moment where maybe you feel, you don't feel prioritized, you don't feel loved, you don't feel safe, you don't feel considered, Uh, you don't feel, you feel betrayed, you feel whatever it might be. And our reactivity is actually a way of protecting from that occurring. So it can be hypersensitive to anything that makes us feel that in any way. And so really what we're being asked is to heal this core wound where you don't feel considered, where you didn't feel loved or prioritized or safe or whatever it might be. And there's so much validity to that. And that's why the wound itself is this wise, brilliant thing that says, hey, when the environment or the situation is like this, it has led to this pain. So we're being invited to to learn the skill, so we don't end up there. So I don't end up feeling not loved because you couldn't communicate, where I don't end up feeling not loved because you didn't choose me, or you don't want the same thing as me, that actually I begin to cultivate the worth from within, that by the way I show up, by the way that I don't deviate from me and leave my own integrity and my own tenderness and my own grace that I'm able to hold the line, and maybe that sometimes means exiting a conversation or exiting a relationship. And you know, I w- was writing about this the uh, the other day thinking about how like, even if your current relationship is one that is not where you want it to be it still requires another level of you to get to whether the relationship is outside of that one or inside of it because you have to grow up and become the person who gets the kind of relationship that you desire. And that's where there's always this question that is, are you a match for what you want? And I always think about how the common denominator in our relational outcomes is always us, which is not to victim blame, but rather to say, what can we take responsibility for that? And what is, how are we a match to what is in our environment? And that match being like, even if we're in these toxic relationships, we're still being invited to communicate at a different level, to become a different person, have more boundaries, have, uh, you know, these declarations where we reclaim ourselves and we stand in the fire right and the part of us that's young the the adaptive part of us that self abandons for connection or runs from connection because of fear of self abandonment in the face of another person's needs or heart that that part of us that adaptive strategy has to die and this adult is born you know this one that says i'm ferocious but ferocious in this fearfully loving way Right, This fierce love that says, I've got me, and because I know I got me, you're not responsible for getting me. You're not responsible for my feelings. I'm going to take responsibility for my feelings and my experience, and if you're ready to do that for yourself, well, now we have two liberated humans in the co-creation of a relationship that is a separate entity and a separate organism that requires that. It requires that. And so today's episode is an interview with the incredible Jason Gaddis, brilliant teacher. And we're going to talk about how to manage conflict, how to move through it, how to become better relationally. This is the ultimate work because if you can learn how to do this in a romantic relationship, every other relationship will be fucking peanuts. It'll be nothing. It'll be so easy. And when you're in a conflict with a coworker or a a sibling, that you're able to, you know, sit in a space of graciousness and unconditional love and listen, which does not mean unconditional tolerance, right? We often confuse those things, you know? And so I'm so excited for today's episode where we step into this learning from this incredible teacher. So before we dive in, please... If you love this episode, share it wherever you can. You can now share links on Instagram, which is great. So just pick the little share arrow, grab it. That's one way to incredibly support the podcast. Get it in other people's ears so that we can all learn how to be better relationally. And then the other side is to leave it a five-star review and a written review. Oh my gosh, I would so appreciate that if you just took the time to do that. So without further ado, here is Jason Gaddis. Well, we have a returning guest, a star, Jason Gaddis. I'm so excited to have you back, my friend.
1: Thanks, dude. Great to be here.
0: So Jason is a master teacher in the area of relationship, and he has the relationship school. And if you follow him on Instagram, amazing, right? His content. And if you don't, go check him out. Jason, you know, when I think about talking, you know, whenever I would ask a group of people. Like what is the number one you, thing you need for successful relationships? Of course the answer almost always is communication. And although we know this intuitively and logically, I feel like it's probably the thing certainly I still struggle with and and I think we can always get better at and I know that you just recently released a book Getting to Zero: How to Work Through Conflict in Your High-Stakes Relationships and I wanted to have you on because I mean, who doesn't need, who doesn't need it? I don't know what getting to zero means yet, but let's do it. Let's do it.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I would say it's communication because, because you and I both have interviewed so many people, right. And we work with lots of people out there. And it seems to be that it's communication under stress is where most people hmm. struggle when things get stressful, the communication skills that we have that we think are pretty good, go out the window. And so that's why I wrote this book is so we could, um, Help people. I could help people get back to a good place, which is what zero is. Zero means um, the place where there's zero conflict. We've gotten to the other side and we feel good again. We feel safe. We feel connected.
0: Yeah, which is such a place. You know, I know intuitively we all seek. Like, I know for you listening right now, you're like, oh, getting to zero. That sounds like a great fucking place to get to. And yet, uh, it's that how. Because, you know, when I think about when Kylie and I first started dating, but you know, historical relationship shit. It just, I'm giving context to the pile of bad communication that got me to this moment <laughs> right. where we were both laying side by side on the bed and we were having a quote unquote fight and neither of us could talk. Like we were both in this freeze <laughs> moment. And I was thinking right. to myself, like I have so many words, but I can just not get them you know, out in, yeah it's taken a lot of really almost like going all A to B to Z to figure out how to move through that. And I, and I certainly have, but I really wish I could have, I had to go seeking all these different ways of learning it. So I'm curious, like, how do we go from gosh, couples where we fight about the same shit all time or like, you know, of course, relationally romantic relationship, uh, communication is just a magnifying glass to general stressful communication. Like at work, Mm -hmm. we get stressed and we can't communicate. So I'm curious, how do we move from A to B?
1: Yeah. I think number one, we have to have the view that conflict isn't a problem. It's an opportunity. And when you and I get into a snag, it's, um, it's uncomfortable and it's not going to feel good, but if we stay with it and we learn how to communicate better and we learn how to listen better, we'll become stronger humans, we'll become more self-aware and we'll become more connected again. And that's, I think, what most of us would say we want that. But too many of us avoid it in the first place. So we got to change our attitude really um, and our mindset about conflict. That's like step number one.
0: And what do you mean changing the attitude? So like going from, it's something we need to avoid to something that uh, is transformational or-
1: Yeah, um, it's that and it's- Uh, Getting out of the fantasy that if you find the one or meet the quote right person, you won't have any conflict. There's still a lot of people that purchase that story. And then they get upset when they get into a relationship and it starts to get uncomfortable and they don't know how to work through stuff. They're like, oh, it's the it's the person. And it's not the person. It's the person is being like you. They're being challenging and they're just being a normal person that gets triggered by another person. And no big deal. (laughs) You just got to learn how to work with those differences and work through it.
0: Isn't that so true? Like we have all bought in this idea that when I finally find the right person, then relationships will be so easy and I won't have any challenges and they'll just get me and all my reactivity and defensiveness that occurred in the last relationship, that was because of that person, not because I'm reactive or defensive (laughs) or critical, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not really a judgy ass. It's the other person. (laughs) No, it's you. (laughs) And then you just don't know how to work with your activation and you don't know how to handle the other person's activation. That's all it is.
0: Hmm. I love that. There's something about that, that, that your own activation doesn't know. You also don't know how to work with the other persons. And so it's like in doing that, there's a depersonalization of that, that it's the activation that's in control, not our dysfunction or our, that we're flawed, but there's actually like uh a learned mechanism that's going on that's unconscious in communication that needs to be worked through, I guess. And how do you work through it unless you're with someone who is also willing to work through it, but you gotta do it with someone. You're not gonna become a master right. communicator by chilling uh-huh. on a mountain meditating. Right. right.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, we we're wired as I, I call social mammals. We're we're social mammals and um it's very threatening to be on the outs with another person. And so I call it our scared animal. We have this scared animal living inside of us that's wired how we're wired and because of our history and also our biology. And when you trigger me and my scared animal a certain way, I'm going to react. And it's, it's an intelligent function is what I'm trying to say is, is it's not pathology. It's saying, no, actually there's an intelligent nature in how I'm defending myself, protecting myself, the impulse to freeze or to defend or to posture collapse or shut down. That's all intelligent. And if we don't know how to work with it in ourselves or the other person, yeah, it's problematic. But mm-hmm. but it's wise that we're wired in a way that would actually take care of ourselves. We would, you know, take good care of ourselves.
0: That the way that we are were or currently being actually has a wisdom to it. It's just yeah. might not be constructive in terms of what we're actually trying to create, i.e. getting to zero.
1: Yeah, because we want, most of us want to feel safe, seen, sued. we want to feel good and connected with other person, especially our primary partner or a business partner. We just don't want challenges there. Uh, but that's a fantasy again. And and we got to embrace the fact that there's going to be challenges. And then how do we work with those? And how do we work with my scared animal and your scared animal as a team, given this is how we're wired? Um, how do we do that? And again, this really, that's essentially what the book is about. How do we get work with this part of ourselves and get back to a good place.
0: So tell, tell us um, first, what is conflict? Or yeah. I'd love to know that. Like what is conflict as you define in the book and and for the purpose of resolving it? And then walk us through, fix this, please. <laughs> fix Sol- this problem. You please. just solve humanity's conflict issues. That'd be yeah, great, man,
1: for sure. Yeah, so conflict I define as a rupture, a disconnection or an unresolved issue between two people. And really it's anything, if we take a zero to 10 scale, and zero being we're in a good place, anything above a zero is we're not in a great place, and 10 being we're in the worst place possible, it's um, conflict is anything above a zero. It's like a one, a two, a three, could be this little thing, the way you looked at me, your tone of voice, the text you didn't return, the silence uh, that we have, you haven't spoken to me in you know a day and a half, that's activating, that's upsetting, and that's conflict. So there's a lot of ways in which we can describe it Um, and I'm trying to say, let's, that all feels bad and let's learn a bunch of tools and techniques to get us back to a good place again.
0: Let's get a bunch of tools and techniques. So what are the tools and techniques?
1: Um, there's so many, and you know, so many as well. I'd love to hear your, some of your favorites. Um, the one I often share on a podcast because it's easy to, for people to get is, is there's two, let's say. Um, one is if I can be what I call a relational leader and I can just raise my hand and say, Mark, um, I'm going to listen to you first because I want to understand you. And I'm going to make a commitment to listen to you until you feel understood. So that's number one, instead of speaking, like I'm going to take my turn and find, you know, all these faults with you or, or, uh, blame you. I'm actually just going to listen to what your experience is of what happened. So that kind of commitment, I think goes a long way. And if you mean it, and then there's a bunch of steps we could do like validation and reflective listening. Sure. There's things we can do, but the commitment itself is huge. Another one is, uh, if I don't want to do that, I can lead with taking ownership and just owning my part. And it's a simple sentence. My part is, or my part was right. Mm. I raised my voice. My part was that I didn't text you back, um, on in a timely manner. And I, and then the second part of that is empathy where we just imagine the impact on the other person. So we can say my part was that I didn't text you back in an agreed upon time. And I can imagine the impact on you was that you felt frustrated and angry and probably even hurt and maybe even a little scared. So now now I'm, I'm trying to understand what it's like to be you when I behave this way. So it's just two simple things, ownership and impact.
0: Yeah, the first one that you mentioned about just turning into a listener I think about when I first started doing that kind of process, how much I had to check in somatically, how I was feeling as they were sharing because so much of my response and still comes up because it feels so sort of innate in my programming is like how many things are wrong with me because of what they're saying Mm -hmm. and having to, as, and it's taken a lot of practice and, and, and sort of 30,000 foot, footing myself of being like, oh, that's not true. Listen to them. And then what you just said, my part, and then the impact. I I think one of the most challenging things for me has been saying like, I can see truth in what you're saying. So that responsibility part, here's what I did, and here's how that Mm might have impacted you. I, I mean, all of that is like eating a big giant piece of humble pie. Yeah. And it's such yeah. work, man. It's such it is. work.
1: Yeah, I mean, if if I'm listening to my wife, and let's say she's in her one of her smaller moments where she is coming with some blame and some heat, you know, my first impulse is always to defend myself, right? Mm-hmm. No, I didn't. That's not what happened. That's not what I said. You know, or whatever the fuck defensive response is, <laughs> <laughs> you can pick the menu here, pick one from the menu, and I have a commitment to okay, I'm going to listen no matter when those arrows are coming at me, I'm still going to listen until you feel understood. And, and I'm going to put the onus actually on you to tell me if you're feeling understood. I'm not going to, because I spent years saying, no, I understand you. And she said, no, you don't. And I'd say, yes, I do. And then we'd be arguing about that. <laughs> Waste of gas, right? Yeah. So I just said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to make a new commitment, which is you let me know when you feel understood. And I'm just going to be here and I'm going to be available and I'm going to validate your feelings. And I'm going to, empathize with you. And I'm going to try to summarize what it is you're saying, the essence of it. I really want to get you what it's like to be you. And it has nothing to do with right and wrong. Um, you're, you being right and I'm being wrong. Like I can't get into that mentality. It's just, it's just understanding. I think it was a long way to settle someone's scared animal.
0: What do you think is like sort of the number one thing we can do to begin that journey to being good at handling conflict? like out of those things or is there anything else uh
1: yeah there's there's one thing i talk about in the book which is increasing your discomfort threshold it's -hmm. kind of a subtle one right but most of us don't like to feel uncomfortable we don't like to feel pain we don't like to feel um crunchy with another person crunchy and and if you look closely man as you know it's just it's just energy in your body it's actually not going to kill you but you could sit sit with it and find out is this going to kill me um, and this is where meditation and mindfulness can come in handy is we can, we can just close our eyes and be like, all right, this is feels really terrible. I want to run. I want to check my phone. I want to do anything, but be with this. But if we can start to turn toward our discomfort and increase that, um, threshold, what I call the discomfort threshold, I think we're going to be more agile in stressful moments with other people.
0: Yeah. I've been studying a lot of Collectively, why we have such a hard time having conversations right now, especially about big subjects like COVID, subjects. like vaccines, like yeah. everything, um, yeah. the trans movement—like there's there's so much emotion in all of these things, which makes absolute sense. And you know, when when we hear someone's position, and and this can be romantic relationally, or or in a family, or whatever it is, politically, yeah. that when we have an emotional response to something, it doesn't mean what they said was wrong. And and I'm not saying there are obviously statements that are wrong and there are obviously statements that are painful and racist and all those things. But in the context of, you know, romantic relationships, I think, and in relationships in general, we often have an emotional response to someone's statements. And we infer that as being like, we, we sort of Uh, think emotion is logical or emotion is rational and that we should act based on feeling. But I keep discovering, especially because of the current climate, how destructive following emotional responses can actually be, you know, and how many relationships romantic too have ended because of emotional responses to things that are personal or sensitive and, and all that.
1: I agree. And I mean, I think an interesting experiment right now, given how charged things are, a good place to practice if you want to become a better listener is talk to your cousin, Jake, or your coworker, Sue, or whoever's got the really hardline position about whatever it is, vaccines or something. And instead of debating them, actually just listen to them until mm-hmm. they feel understood.
0: Such a beautiful invitation because we have to practice like, what is them being possibly right mean for us? What does it threaten within us? What does it make the invitation to expanding discomfort? I know you talked about how meditation and mindfulness can do that because I guess just even sitting in meditation longer than you ever have, or with thoughts you never have or whatever it is, much like cold water, you know, being in a cold shower and sitting with the discomfort of a cold shower. We've like, we are increasing our capacity to be observant while the body is reactive. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, that's totally fair. Because I, I think evolutionarily we we had less of an issue being uncomfortable. We're so sedentary now, and we're so medicated that oh my god, so any true. little kind of wave of waft of discomfort is like oh god, I'm gonna die. And it's, <laughs> you know, I need my vices and fuck, and it's kind of sad. So it is. relationship is this amazing dojo for us to to at least start doing some reps around discomfort, you know, it's like, come on guys, we're already so comfortable.
0: When you think of the evolution of relationship, when we look at like historically, maybe what we observed in our parents' generation, or even now we're we are of a generation that are other people's parents, yeah, what do you think has been, because I really see the evolution of relationship. A lot of people will say, why do you think we don't value relationships as much as we used to? Or why do you think our parents had such better love. And I'm like, I don't actually think relationships of past were better. I actually think relationships of today are much better, much more fulfilling, much more um, rich, much more power. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like there's so many things that are different that make today's relationships have so much more possibility. There's more liberation within the relationship. I'm curious of, of like, what do you think is the biggest communication difference or like in this getting to zero even, and maybe to further that question is if we've never observed conflict managed and resolved and, and repaired, then like, do we stand a chance, right? Like yeah. observe, cause a lot of us, our parents maybe got divorced or they were awful or they never fought. And then we're like, Oh, fighting's not good. Even though like yeah. conflict can be very, you know, is very powerful.
1: Yeah. It's an important question. Um, I heard a couple of questions in there. I mean, there was about nine questions in there, if, so if, if we well if we um, <laughs> if we just look if we're just watching media right if we're just watching reality tv and our political leaders we're not definitely not getting a good download and then our parents generation because uh, it's just a lot of blame and finger pointing um our parents generation i think w- whatever they had going for them i think the biggest one was compartmentalization and a lack of tools and so they learned to be stoic and strong in the face of adversity and that that had its advantages right when you're focused on feeding your family or especially if we go back far enough in our in our lineage many generations you know people had it really hard um and they were they had other priorities now we have the luxury to focus on personal growth and development which is cool but it also is like in some ways more pressure it's like Esther Perel talks about this and Eli Finkel where it's you know like the to have it all is actually like kind of stressful the the weight we put on a intimate relationship but i'm personally up for that because my life is infinitely better when i figure out my marriage when i figure out my relationship Mm. with my kids and i get good at that i think that's the central hub that i want to live my life from and so i it's imperative that i know how to work through interpersonal stress with my wife and kids as an example because now I'm all of us are freed up to go meet the rest of the challenges in her life.
0: I love that. I love that you pointed to because I think what is often seen as maybe a criticism of relationships of today. I know it's not meant that way by Eli and Esther, um, but I think that often is is like we expect from our relationships what we expect from a village used to provide. Yeah. And, and I do think there's some truth in that, that we like place, especially for men, we tend to place like our whole world in our relationship, but that's been romanticized no matter what gender you are. yeah But what you said about like, um, we sort of want everything within that romantic relationship. I love that you said, and I'm up for that mm-hmm. because I resonate with that in that if relationships are the place that we will find I would say the largest, I don't even, this doesn't need to be backed by research, but I'm certain there are is research that does, which is relationships are for sure the most important cornerstone of our health. Full stop. Like if you can have healthy community and not just romantic relationships, you don't need a romantic relationship to experience the healing effects of community. Um, Like people got your back, like that kind of feeling and a, a partnership as well, um, in addition, if if that's something someone desires, that that to put in the work to get to zero, and to learn how to like be at ten and get back to zero, because of course there's always new conflicts yep. and new things. Uh, I actually don't see more important work. I don't and I love how you said that if you can do that, then everyone within the family system or the community or whatever can then go out to do their work in the world to show up to the world to then model getting to zero to the world, which fuck do we ever need that? Like, especially now. So you articulated that so beautifully. It inspires me a lot because I've never I've never really thought like, yeah, I'm actually okay with all the pressure being on that because I'm willing to show up for that pressure and pressure. So cheesy yeah. pressure creates diamonds. Hi. <laughs> <laughs>
1: nice transformation. Hey, yeah, wink, wink. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really the foundation of secure attachment. If we want to even just talk about parent child dynamics, that raising two cure securely attached kids happens because my wife and I work on being at zero as much as possible. We're in a good place as much as possible. And when we're not, we show our kids through our fighting and, repairing and all this stuff, how you do that. And then we facilitate working through conflict with them, with each other. They go to school. No other kids are doing this. They feel completely alone because every kid on the playground is pointing the finger at someone else and no one's taking responsibility. Um, But my kids are securely attached, which means they're actually have now an advantage in life. They're going to do better on just about every area of life from holding down a job to getting a job. To schoolwork, uh, to getting into college, to successful long-term relationships as adults—I mean, the evidence is so clear now. With securely att- securely attached kids having the advantage, so I, I mean, the, the the effort that we can put in now, what we know about the brain and and attachment is like, man, we can really shine. I think if we can get this part of our life figured out,
0: yeah, and we can, and, and you know, for those of us that maybe didn't have secure attachments with our parents, like we can change our attachment style. We can learn, we can become Mm. the model of what was not modeled for us, which might be more challenging to learn. Of course, we're not going to dismiss that. Like the challenge of learning how to regulate when you didn't have parents who co-regulated with you, who were attuned to your needs. Like we have to start to be attuned to our own needs, co-regulate with, it's almost like we're co-regulating with ourselves. But then, you know, I, I recently had a question from someone saying, Oh, like my partner and I, we had great love, but we just, Had conflict all the time, and and you know I was I was saying to them like conflict isn't bad; it's how we manage conflict that really matters. And like really, ultimately, as you said, we're we're really learning how to be attuned to one another, how to how to be regulated together. Which, because you said like it's not communication that matters; it's communication when we're stressed that matters, and that delineation is really important.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I I like to introduce this concept briefly called, I call the conflict repair cycle. And um, this comes from Ed Tronics work of the still face experiment Mm -hmm. um, and really just secure attachments, attachment science research, which is basically saying the ruptures between us aren't the issue. It's how quickly we can come back and make it okay again, right? And that cycle between rupture and repair, disconnection, reconnection, is what builds security in an individual and together over time. Mm -hmm. So you can't actually have a secure relationship without having a conflict repair cycle. Uh, For example, the people that like to say, well, the more secure relationship is no conflict. It's like, no, that, that relationship is inherently more insecure than a relationship who's faced adversity and challenge and learned how to work through it, that relationship is actually stronger, which makes sense, right? It's the person that goes to the gym that has to work out the atrophied muscles over and over becomes stronger than the person who's thinking about being in shape or whatever, like that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So you're saying that, yeah, that makes sense. So you're saying that the couple who has no conflict actually doesn't have a container that can hold conflicts. So they're more delicate than a Relationship that is faced adversity through it and knows that there's safety and like hey when we face challenges we we work through them
1: yeah we deal we we double down and we figure it out and we we learn how to be a team and we try to solve this problem together those people are just inherently more resilient stronger secure on all fronts
0: so when you think about like as a parent and you were saying like modeling this for your parents or your children being attuned to them and, and having secure attachment with your wife and then also with your children. How do you, when you're getting to zero and handling conflict as a couple with children, you know, I, I think of like, so often when I heard my parents fighting as a kid, I, I could hear it, but then you know, I would then things would be sort of tense in the house and, but I never actually saw repair occur in front of me, at least yeah. not often. So I'm curious, is there, like, I never saw my dad or her mom apologize to one another in front of me, um, right. which I, th- I don't blame them because of course I would imagine that they were embarrassed or they didn't think it was for me to see. And and that's yeah. totally fair. We used to think that you just let kids cry through the night and kids are resilient and kids don't feel pain right. and all that bullshit. Yeah. So I'm curious, what do you recommend in terms of how to handle conflict as a couple with children present? What's okay. What's not.
1: Yeah. And I'm so glad you just mentioned the um, piece about your parents. And I, I would just, just an interesting question for the listener before I answer your question is um, have you growing up, did you see your parents, um, model conflict like Mark's saying, or did they ever repair with you when they made a snack, when they, when they created a conflict, when they yelled at you or raised their voice or slammed a door, or did they ever validate your feelings and come back and apologize? And I love my parents and I don't have one memory of them repairing with me. And like you're saying, I don't have one memory of them repairing with each other in front of me. I do have so a memory
0: right. When you think about that, it's like, I do have one very um, visceral memory of my mom apologizing to me once when I was young.
1: Oh, that's cool.
0: Um, But that shows you how important that that experience was because it was pretty insignificant. We were at a fairgrounds. I didn't win something and she was frustrated because I wasn't winning. And I was like eight (laughs) and she apologized for her reaction. And I I remember that. Yeah, Yeah, that's
1: cool. Exactly. So So back to your question about uh, my wife, Ellen, and I and and how we do this with the kids. I'm a big fan of fighting in front of the kids and showing them how it's done. And that obviously I can say that because my wife and I know how to get to zero. We know how to get back to a good place. Yeah. But I wouldn't wait until you're there on the quote summit because my wife and I are always learning and trying to improve here. So there kind of is no summit but there's no point in waiting because then you don't show them how to learn anything. Right. Like you don't have the humility to say, God, I like honey kid. I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm trying to fix this with mom and get back to a good place. And you know, we'll get there. Just give us time. We're still learning. We're actually taking a class from Mark Groves or the relationship school. And we're learning how to do this whole thing better. I mean, that's an incredibly powerful teaching. What a
0: beautiful modeling of humility and humanness, right? and that and that conflict's normal, and that like yeah. love isn't gone. That like even right. though you and your partner or whoever we're talking about in this world of like, and and you said your wife, if you and your wife currently have a disruption that you're working through, you're not saying it gets fixed the second it happens. You're saying like, hey, we're working through this, and we'll get to the other side. Yeah, but let us.
1: Yeah, uh, and we can so like powerful. Yeah, and I like that statement you made. It, it's sort of like reassuring. Hey, and kids need to need reassurance sometimes. And it's like, yeah, mom and dad, will, you know, we're in a challenging spot. We'll get through this. Like sometimes our kids will come over and they have a need and we're just like in it, you know, just like ugh, in some crunchy spot. <laughs> and and then like my I'm thinking of my son's face. He'll come over and be like, "Hey mom, hey dad." And we're like, "Hold on. Hey, we're not, you know. Mom and Dad are still in this. We're working through a conflict here, and he's like, "Oh God!" And he rolls his eyes, and he's like, "Oh," and then he storms off, um, all mad because he has a need. <laughs> right. and it's like, dude, we're not meeting your need until like we get this figured out.
0: Yeah, we and don't have space and capacity for yours right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, sometimes we obviously set down our thing because there's a another crying kid or whatever's yeah. going on. But, but yeah, it's um, and it's it's funny. My my son now, you know, he said to us. Quite a while ago, actually, when he was younger, he said um, he was kind of annoyed at taking responsibility because he's like, no kids on the playground do that, dad. Like, it's annoying being the only one, Mm. you know? It's like, oh, that's so painful.
0: (laughs) That so is. I I think of the modeling of that, like when in relationship, when one of the first times I ever experienced like, hey, I'm really sorry for how that might have made you feel. I was like, what? What? Like my. it was like this really powerful moment where I had this realization that it's not all my fault.
1: Mm.
0: Like I didn't, it's not all me. Mm-hmm. And that was so big. Cause I felt like so much grief come yeah, through right. me and totally. of like, wait, I've thought everything's my fault, which is not the fault of my partners. It was like a, and maybe some what too, but it was like the, the narrative that was in my head. And so, yeah. Um, hearing a, a real take responsibility repair was like a real vulnerable, beautiful moment where I was like, oh, I don't have to carry all this. I guess that was the grief. It was like I got to put down half of it and say, as the more codependent over functioning, it was like, finally, someone mm. else was like, no, no, no. Like, this isn't mine. You keep right. yours. You still got your own shit, <laughs> but sure. like, I'll take my half. And it was so, so normal powerful. for me to grab theirs, you know?
1: Right. Wow. That's, that's potent. And I, I think the listener can probably relate here. Cause I'm, I'm trying to think of when I first ever got that. I'm like, did I ever <laughs> accept my it was It you know? was older. <laughs> like,
0: it was definitely older
1: when I got that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think for the listener, it's like, no, that's possible because you might have grown up in a family and had a series of adult relationships where it's still not happening for you. Um, and there's, you know, we could go into that, but it can happen for you, and it does take two willing people um who are willing to learn how
0: we do all deserve that and i and and you know, I think about like what I said is I never really gave a lot of space for a partner to do that because I was so busy taking all the responsibility and trying mm. to do all the repair and mm. trying so to have this sort of other adult be in relationship with me, yeah which required me to adult cuz all of a sudden I wasn't the kid trying to fix everything I was the adult right. observe, you know co creating a relationship so you know I, when we think about wanting to manage conflict and get our relationships to these place these places what is sort of the starting place in terms of how both of us have to enter that with agreements like yeah you know I'm sure there's a lot of overfunctioners listening just by nature of listening to a podcast about communication and love and humanness and relationships and life that, you know, we're the people listening, including myself, and I'm guessing, including you, we're the ones who are like more proactive about seeking this type of info so we can get better at it so we can make life better and be better. Uh, what is the, the price of admission? What's the, like, you got to be this tall to ride, to begin this journey as two people in relationship, you know, like where are we starting for this to even make fucking sense?
1: Totally. Well, I I think something my wife tells me a lot, um, that I, I really like for people that she works with the couple she works with. It's the question is an important one. It's, are we, do we want the same things and do we want our relationship to be a vehicle for growth and development and transformation and, where we're going to actually learn a little bit about ourselves along the way, or are we in this because we just want to be comfortable Right. or we just like want to be okay. Um, we, it's very important I think to get on the same page about what context you're operating inside of as, as partners that I think is the starting point. And then from there we can do what you were suggesting, which is create agreements. Um, that one example being we don't let any, unresolved issue go longer than forty or twenty-four you could say forty eight hours, I say twenty-four hours before I like 24. we address it. You know, just one day, twenty-four hours. We we don't let anything that felt bad to either one of us go longer than a day. And we agree that one of us will come and lead the conversation and we'll help we'll we'll get back to that good place again when I call zero. I think that's a great agreement to have in place. I mean there's many more, but that's one.
0: I think we often get scared of even chasing those agreements. Cause we're afraid that the other person won't want what we want or be committed to the same thing we're committed to. Yeah. And I, I feel myself sort of over-functioning, even in the thinking of like, how will, if someone mm-hmm. listening to this says, okay, well, I'm ready to change my shit. I'm ready to, and then they yeah. go to their partner and they say, okay, here are the baseline agreements. And the partner is like like, mm. because what you said was, or are we just in a relationship where we're just settling for a company? Like we just want to be two people who are not focused on co-creating anything together, but rather tolerating one another as we sort of like walk through life uh, Mm -hmm. in this quote unquote relationship, which I really think is modeling the same relationships that we were sort of modeled and and inherited. Um, Obviously not speaking for all of them, but that feels to me like this real transition moment between the relationships of the past and the relationships of today, which is you make this request, Hey, I'm willing to work on this. I'm willing to learn how to communicate. And if you aren't, that's okay. But like, it is okay. We're not, then we're we're not, right. We're not on the same page and that's okay. And that's okay. Right. Like, and I, I, I think about all the people who worry about that answer. And I think about, I think about how men tend to handle, uh, going to the doctor is like, men don't go to the doctor till they have to go to the doctor generally. Right. But like, regardless of whether you find out the truth or not, the truth exists, yeah. right? Like just cause you don't want to get that mole check. Doesn't mean the mole's not bad. Right. And I think of it in a similar way with the truth in relationship. When you actually ask that question about alignment, you get the truth that already lives below the misalignment that already lives there. So it's you might there. as well act upon the information yeah. because you will never be able to get to zero with someone who doesn't want to get to zero.
1: That's right. And, and we're talking about a person, we could say they're an overfunctioner, but it's a person who's playing to not lose versus a person who's playing to win. Those are two very different kinds of people. Explain that. And a person who's playing to not lose is saying, I'm not going to bring this up because I don't want to lose the relationship. Uh Right? I'd rather be in a mediocre relationship than be single at my age and be on the outs and have to deal with everything I'm going to have to deal with, all the consequences of breaking up this relationship. And that's very fair. That's valid. I hear you. Right. Yeah. Uh, and is that a good enough reason to not advocate for your needs, to put your foot down and say, look, we've been avoiding conflict for too long. I'm, I'm no longer willing to brush it under the rug. I want to make sure we're on the same page here. Can we have an honest conversation about alignment? And it seems like we're kind of, after all these years, a little, not so much in alignment anymore. Is that, and uh, that's okay. And maybe it's time we part ways.
0: Yeah. Such a powerful, um, request and, and statement because it's like you're planting your, I don't know. What is it? Your, your staff your or something. staff, something Pratt, like, know. like, <laughs> like uh, Gandalf. Right. Who shall not pass? That's what yeah. it kind of feels like. But it, it, but it's like this moment of reclamation. And I think that's why conflict always offers this window um, through co-creating um, into a more vulnerable space, a more shared space, a more mm-hmm. co-created space. And it really also... Like when I think about boundaries and respect and kindness in that space, that t- takes work to get to, right? The yeah, reactivity. and totally. It's like all the models of all the protection that has been built into us, including withdrawing and all that, that comes to these moments where we're being asked to like co-create this safe space where eventually all of us is welcome. Yeah, and, that's right. Oh, my God is, I don't know that there's a more vulnerable space.
1: Dude. I mean, and that to me, that's the gold mine, and where I can, all of me is welcome here. And that's to me, a secure attachment where I can be me and it's going to be messy and it's going to be ugly sometimes. And I'm going to be a jerk sometimes. That's all of me. Right. I like my right. the good, bad, and the ugly. And will you accept me? And do we have the kind of um, interest and shared vision and view that we want to be in that kind of container, that kind of relationship?
0: Amazing. Well, my friend, I'm so grateful that you came on to share your insight about conflict and how we can get to zero. Uh, and of course, there's so much more juiciness in your book, because if it was simply just those two things. We'd all just do those two things and it would be right. magically solved. <laughs> um, but you didn't write a book because it was simple. So I'm ex- excited that you simplified it and put it into something that's consumable in one place. So where do people go find your book? Where can they find it? Where they can find more of you and all those things?
1: Yeah, cool. Thanks. Uh, getting to zerobook.com is a place where we didn't get into conflict styles, but you can take a quiz to determine your conflict style, and also get extra little goodies with the book. Um, it is on Audible, it's on Amazon, Barnes, your local bookshop, hopefully, um, all the places. And then I'm at Jason Gaddis on Instagram, and that's Jason with a Y.
0: Perfect. Well, my friend, I really appreciate your time, your insight, your wisdom and all the love you put into your work. So thanks for being here. Yeah.
1: Thanks, Mark. Great to hang with you again.